chapter 18, 1 Samuel chapter number 18. We've been journeying through these Old Testament books. We started out with those first five books, the Pentateuch. We had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And throughout those, we looked at four great events and four great men that were in Genesis. And then in Exodus, we went through several stories that took place in the life of Moses, the building of the tabernacle, coming the Exodus out of, out of Egypt, heading toward the Promised Land. Leviticus, we saw a lot about the priestly laws and about the, um, some of the ceremonial duties of the tabernacle. In Numbers, we saw some more stories. We had the story of Balaam and the talking donkey. We had the story of the people in the fiery furnace and the murmuring and as they wandered in the wilderness for all those years. Deuteronomy, the second law, we saw Moses come down and give the law again to the children of Israel before they, the, the descendants of the first group as they were going into the promised land. Then we had Joshua and Judges kind of back to back. Joshua, Judges, and really Ruth, all of those dealt with this kind of intermittent time between taking of the promised land and a new king coming on the throne. We looked at a couple of the judges uh, in particular as we went through those. We looked at the life of Ruth in there, and we kind of kind of hit some things. Last week we looked at the life of Saul, and this week's no exception. We'll be looking at Saul, or two weeks ago we had Saul and then David, and now we're going to look at Saul and David. So Saul is the first king of Israel. So just kind of file that away in the back of your mind. This is the first time there's ever been a king. It's kind of new territory, if you will. There's never been a king before. There's never been the the uh, you know the peaceful the peaceful succession of power to the next guy that's never happened and David's been anointed to be the next king David's already been chosen to be the next king now whether Saul knew that or not uh, I think deep down Saul probably had an inkling that something was going on here first Samuel chapter number 18 verse number five the Bible says this and David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely and Saul set him over all over the men of war, sorry, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another and played, and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they've ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they ascribe but thousands. What more can he, uh, what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul I David from that day and forward. And it came to pass on the morrow, the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him. And was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed from him, therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that, he, became, he behaved himself very wisely. He was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. We're going to look at this little snippet here in the relationship of King Saul and young David. Before we do, let's pray, and then we'll get rolling. Father, I do thank you, Lord, for the day you've given to us. I do thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us to, to meet together. Lord, we, let's not take for granted the opportunity to assemble. I, I pray, Father, that you bless now. I pray, Father, that you be with uh, uh, the college and career age in here, as well as the, as well as the uh, adults. I pray, Father, that you help us, Lord, to get something from this thought. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking through this story, reading through this story, I tried to put myself in both guys' position, all right? Because you've got two people. You've got King Saul 
and you've got David. King Saul comes in. He's got this new guy that comes in to work for him. In the beginning of the story, verse number five, really, if I'm King Saul, I really like this guy. It says, and David went out whithersoever Saul sent him. He's got a new guy that's going to go where he tells him to go. I mean, this is an assistant. Saul, we already know Saul was in his tent when David went and fought Goliath. Saul doesn't really want to go out and fight these dangerous battles. We know when Saul and Jonathan, Jonathan's the one that went up and attacked that, his son Jonathan's the one that went up and attacked that Philistine stronghold while Saul was kind of down, kind of just kind of chilling in his tent. Saul, for whatever reason, doesn't really feel like going out to fight. And now he's got a guy that will do this for him. He's got a guy that will do uh, the, if you will, the dirty work, the, the, the tough stuff. And David's going to do it. So if I'm Saul, I'm pretty happy here. I got this new assistant. He's going to take over. He's going to do this stuff. Uh, here, we've got Nathaniel now. And Nathaniel's gotten to do a lot of the dirty work that I don't feel like doing. And so there's, there's several things that Nathaniel's had to do that it's not like, no. So it's, you know, 100 degrees outside. It's not the kind of time of day I want to be out on a lawnmower or out on a weed eater. So, hey, Nathaniel, go get a weed eater. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be out there. You know, there have been, there have been a lot of, uh, some menial tasks, some, some simple things that uh, I don't want to have to be pushing a vacuum around. I don't want to be the one to wash the floors. I've, it's, so, Nathaniel, let's, let's get this done. And, and it's very nice to have this guy that you can just say, hey, you know, here's your list. You know, have it done. I'm going to go to Starbucks and then <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts and then breakfast and then... You know, it's, it's kind of nice. Like, I see, how, I see how the other side lives. It's like, hey, I can, I can do this. And that's what King Saul had. King Saul's got this guy who's come in, and now, David, you take, you take the men of war, and you go out and fight, and I'm going to chill here in the palace. I mean, literally, that's, that's what he's got. He went out with us wherever Saul sent him. Not only that, it says, and he behaved himself wisely. Now, I've had some other guys that have done stuff for me. Um, some of, uh, we, we joke around about the camp staff guys and these teenagers that come and work on camp staff when they're 12 and 13 and 14 years old. And some of those guys, when they come out there, they're a little green, maybe a little wet behind the ears. They're not the best at doing a task. And so it'll, uh, case in point, our new guys always have to dig a trench somewhere. So it's, hey guys, I need this trench dug out from behind this building. And digging a trench is, it, it brings different emotions, but if you've been a guy on camp staff, go dig a trench uh, there's flashbacks. It's like PTSD. It's like, oh, not the trench. And, and, and in their minds, they're deep, long trenches that they dug. They're like six feet long and like six inches deep. And it's in dirt and leaves and stuff. But it's, it's a big deal. And so you send them out. Hey, guys, I need you to go dig that trench. And I've had some guys that go out and dig the trench starting at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Monday. Like, guys, go start on that trench. And then lunchtime, you guys done? Oh, almost. Okay. And then Come back around, it's like separate. You guys done? Uh, just about, just about. And like three guys on a trench. It's like, okay, guys, well, let's go check this trench. We go out and look at it, and it's, you know, about yay deep, and it's kind of in a line, and the shovels are all set aside. One time I went out, and the guys were out there with claw hammers, hitting the ground with their hammers to dig the trench, because it was easier to dig with hammers, they thought, than to use shovels and different things. And, and to be perfectly honest, they get really disappointed when we just go and grab a tractor or like skid load or something and just, and do the trench and, you know, 30 seconds, what they've been working on for all this time. Like, oh, I'll clean it up real quick with the tractor. And it's done. Because sometimes you send guys out to do stuff and they don't behave themselves wisely. Sometimes they're an embarrassment. Sometimes they, they just can't accomplish the task you give them to accomplish. But that wasn't the case with David. And if I'm King Saul, first of all, I've got a guy who does what I tell him to do. That's good. And i got a guy who, he's not a, he's not a hindrance and he's not a liability. He's an asset. He's actually, he's actually, he's actually helping me. So this is really good, too. And it came to pass 
as they, uh, and it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of the cities of Israel. And this is where things changed for King Saul. When King Saul was out and he saw David come back and he heard the song that everybody was singing, that Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands, Saul got jealous. Now, logically, I look at this and I think, Saul, you should be happy. They're giving you thousands. You've been in your tent for the last three years hiding. But that's not how Saul looked at it, right? Um, Saul got upset. And Saul allowed this little thing called envy to creep in. Now, envy, and I've, I've done a little bit of research this week. I was kind of going through it and trying to see. Because envy and jealousy are close. And Pastor mentioned it the other day as far as envy and jealousy. Envy is a feeling of discontent, resentment, or longing because of someone else's possessions, qualities, or attributes, okay? So, so, and then jealousy is the fear of losing something I have, okay? So jealousy. So uh, when we say someone is jealous, I, I'm jealous. So if I had praise and somebody else gets praise, I can be jealous because I don't want to lose the praise that I had. Um, uh, the Bible talks about how God is jealous for his people because he has us, and then when we go to serving false gods, we go to serving something besides God, he's jealous after us because he's losing something he had. So jealousy is that, 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 that fear of losing something I had or that desire not to lose something I do have. That's where that jealousy comes in. But envy is a little bit different. Envy is that it's, that, it's a feeling of discontent, resentment, or longing because of someone else's possessions. I'm envious of that person's whatever, their house, their car, their, their whatever, their, their possessions. Their quality is, boy, I wish I were like that guy was. I wish I were as smart as that guy, or I wish I had the job that that guy has, or I wish I had the, you know, I wish I could dunk like that guy can, or I could run like that guy, or I had that guy's health, or whatever. Or their attributes, and you know, something like, wow, people really like that person. I wish people like me like they like that person. So that's where envy came in, and envy started in King Saul. Now, we don't see the word envy in this passage, but we see the fruit of envy in this passage, and we see what's going to happen. And this envy that God in King Saul's life started to, started to change how King Saul thought. Today I want to look at two aspects of this story. The first aspect is how to not be like King Saul. If we're not going to be like King Saul, then we can't allow envy to start in our life. Now the reason envy started in Saul's life was threefold. Uh, I see here, the first thing I see... If you look down in verse number 12, sorry, in verse number 9, it says this, And saw I David from that day and forward. We see the first thing that's going to take with envy is we have to have our eyes on the wrong thing. Saul got his eyes on David. What's going on with David? What's happening with David? What's going on? Saul's eyes should have been on God. God, what do you want me to do? David was supposed to be an asset to King Saul. Can you imagine the story of David and Saul and the kingdom of Israel if Saul would have helped David instead of been a hindrance to David? If Saul would have been there and, and, and uh, brought David in and taught David what he should do and, and handed the kingdom over to David. I mean, he was married to his daughter. He would have been a prince. He could have, he could have the transition could have been so smooth. But what could have been wasn't because Saul eyed David. His eyes were on David. And for us, what happens to us is we get our eyes on the wrong thing. Instead of having my eyes on God and what God's and the blessings that God's given us. I mean, here King Saul, if you go back a few chapters, King Saul said, 
I'm the least person of the least tribe. We just had this lesson like three weeks ago. I'm the, I'm the smallest person of the smallest tribe in Israel. We're, we're the least. Why, why are you choosing me? And he was little in his own eyes, it tells us back in chapter 15. Samuel came to him, when thou wast little in thine own eyes. But Saul got his eyes on the wrong thing. And if Saul could have had his eyes on all the blessings that God had given him. I mean, he went from being the least person of the least tribe to being the most powerful person in the, in the country. Instead of having his eyes on the fact that they were beating the Philistines, they were winning this war, his eyes were on David. And he was consumed with David. And if we're not careful, envy will cause that to happen to us too. You'll get your eyes off the blessing God has given you. And we get our eyes on what I don't have. We get our eyes off all the good that I've got, and I get my eyes on what I want instead. And... It's a very dangerous and a very slippy place to get when you get in that when you get in that frame of mind where I start looking at what others have when I get my eyes in the wrong direction, because ultimately it leads to discontentment. Ultimately it leads to dissatisfaction. And that's what envy does. So now I'm not happy. Now nothing makes me happy. Now when I get this next thing, now I'm still not happy. Now I have to have the next next thing. Uh, we see this in the in the technology industry a lot, you know. They come out with the new iPhone 6, and now I've got the iPhone 6. And then, oh, the iPhone 7 came out. Now I'm jealous, I'm envious, because that one can do what this one can't. And now I need the iPhone 8, and then pretty soon it's the iPhone 10. And then, then we go to the iPhone 11, and now it's the iPhone 12. And you know, just around the corner, they're coming out with the next iPhone, and it's going to have more cameras and, and faster speeds, and, and I have to have the next one up. And I'm not content. I'm like, hey, you know what? You do have a very fast phone that's... Ten times faster than the computers that put people in, you know, on the moon is your cell phone, but you're not content with that one. You have to have the next one. And we're not content with our lifestyle. We're not content with our way of life. We're not content with the relationships around us because I want what someone else has instead. And ultimately, we get our eyes on the wrong thing. Second thing I see, not only did he get his eyes in the wrong place, uh, down in verse number 12, and Saul was afraid of David. You see that? He was afraid of David. Look at verse 15. It says, wherefore Saul saw that when he bathed himself wisely, he was afraid of him. Second thing is, not only do we get our eyes on the wrong thing, we fear the wrong things. David's, David was helping Saul, and Saul was afraid of David. Think about this. David's going to become Saul's enemy, but Saul was not David's enemy. Okay? Saul hated David and wanted to destroy David. David didn't reciprocate that hatred. In fact, when David had the chances to take out King Saul, he didn't do it. So Saul hates David, but David didn't really, wasn't really against Saul. He ran from him, but he wasn't his enemy, so to speak. And if we're not careful, we'll, get, we'll fear the wrong things. We'll fear when the stock market crashes and I'm going to lose my money. But that's not really something that I should fear. Well, we'll fear when, um, you know, maybe the loss of a job or we'll fear... Ultimately, my fear should be to fear God, right? The fear of the Lord at the beginning of wisdom. Saul quit fearing God here and started fearing David. Had Saul been fearing God, then God's presence doesn't leave him, as we're going to see. Had Saul been fearing God, think how differently this story goes, too. But Saul didn't fear God. Saul wasn't worried about what God said. In fact, when just a few chapters before, when he goes and he's going he's to keep back those, the, the, the King Agag and the Amalekites, and he's going to keep back those things. And then Samuel came to him and says, well, I feared the people, and I feared this. And I, but what about God? He didn't fear God in this. And Samuel told him straight up, hey, God's rejected you. 
says, you're, you're done. You're done as king. And it didn't click in Saul's head. And Saul feared the wrong things. Instead of fearing God, he feared the circumstances. He feared the things around us. Right now in our country, right now in our world, fear is everywhere. We fear the unknown. We're not sure with, with COVID what's happening. Everybody's so fearful. And okay, now we need extra booster shots. And now we need, now we need this. And now we need that. And, and we, we, we overcorrect because of fear. And so now because I'm afraid, now I'm going to overcorrect. And, and, it, and it's it, this sense of fear, this sense of, of not knowing what's going to happen. And, and now we're fearful with uh, you know, Afghanistan falling and what's going to happen with terrorism, what's going to happen with it. And now we're fe fearful there and we, we fear this. And, and I mean, if you listen to any, any length of news, it's fear this and fear this and don't go to this neighborhood and don't go there and don't do this. And we fear this and we fear that. And, and ultimately we're, we're worried about the entire environment and global warming and what's going to happen if the climate changes and all this. And we're constantly consumed by fear. What might happen? What could happen? But ultimately my fear should be God. The fear of the Lord. And if I fear God, the rest of those fears don't really matter. Because if I truly fear God, then God's the one in control. And God can control the weather. And God can control the people of the earth. The king's heart's in the hand of the Lord. He can turn it. God can control the economy. God can control the job environment. This is deep, but God can control viruses too. I mean, God is the one. And God chooses, I mean, ultimately, God's the one that allows us to get it or keeps us from getting it. And, and it doesn't matter how many shots you get and how many masks you wear and, and how removed you are from people. God is the one that's, I mean, he's still the big G God in control of everything, right? Amen. And we fear the wrong things. And Saul feared the wrong things. And that fear that came because, and it was all part of envy, he had his eyes in the wrong thing cause him to fear the wrong things. And then we're going to see the next thing. Uh, verse number 12, the second half says, because the Lord was with him and departed from Saul. And then if we look down at verse number, the end of verse 14, and the Lord was with him. Lord was with David. Lord wasn't with Saul. Not only did he watch the wrong person, not only did he fear the wrong thing, but he wasn't with the Lord. The Lord wasn't with him. Now we know, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. If God's not with him, that means he's not drawing nigh to God. That means that Saul, Saul is the one that took the steps backing up. And it doesn't say it specifically in the Bible, but if we draw nigh to God and he draws nigh to us, logically, if I start backing away from God and I start doing my own thing, I'm getting further away from God too. And ultimately, that's what happened to King Saul. God wasn't with him anymore. And Saul was out trying to do what Saul was trying to do before, but God wasn't with him. And be, when he got to this stage of being apart from God, being fearing the wrong thing, being having his eyes on the wrong thing, that's what got Saul to the point where, verse 11, and Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. How does King Saul go from not willing to fight Goliath to I'm going to murder David in the palace? In front of everybody. I'm, I'm just going to javelin him. And not once, but twice. I mean, how, how does a person, how do you justify this? Well, you justify it when I get away from God, when I fear the wrong things, or when I get my eyes in the wrong places. And envy ultimately is what led him to this. So this, this, this envy, it led to the loss of God's presence, which then led to the evil spirit, which then led to fear in Saul, which then led to Saul making David his enemy. But now on David's side, 
So Saul was his enemy. But what did David do? Now this part of actually, it's in your lesson. We're just going to look, we're just going to walk through right here at the very end. Uh, we're going to go through what David did towards Saul. So what Christians should do for their enemies, it's letter B in your lesson. We're just going to walk through these five things. What, what do I do when someone is my enemy? Because honestly, people can be your enemy. People can view you as their enemy when I don't view them as my enemy, right? I mean, like, like somebody could have a problem with me, but I don't have a problem with them, and I don't know any different. But then when I find out that, hey, that person does have a problem with me, then what? Then what? And that's what we're going to see here. This is the, 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 some of these come from the New Testament. These are, these are things, this is what David, this is some of the things that David's going to do with King Saul. And you can see what David did, how David served him and respected Saul and he wouldn't hurt him. Um, he let God be the judge. We're going to see in the, that top part, we're going to look down at letter B. So what does the Bible say we should do for our enemies? First of all, from Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. First thing we're supposed to do is love our enemies. Now that goes against everything. Uh, that goes against everything that, like, we're, we're entrenched to not do this. Where it's, it's in our, it goes against our grain to, to not be this way. Uh, I'm a big football fan. And so preseason's here, so we've had two games now. Uh, the Chiefs have looked pretty good. They look pretty good. Our quarterback didn't look so hot the other night, but I'm going to, Chalk that one up to just some rust, and maybe he wasn't trying his hardest. You know, threw a pick in the end zone. That was a little disheartening. After the game, though, they, they didn't used to show up, and like now, you see like the NFL guys, they'll get together and they go over, and they're like, they used to like, you'd see like the quarterbacks would go, and they like maybe shake hands, or they fist bump, or they come by and talk to each other at the end. The quarterbacks would go find each other, and a couple of you know the the big name guys would go find their counterpart on the other team they go and say something to them but now they're all like all buddy buddy and they're out there and they're all like chatting and stuff and they're all like friends and so here's the defensive linemen and they're over there like got their arm around an offensive tackle or something like they've been beating each other up for the last hour and like trying to take each other's heads off now they're like buddy buddy and they're like joking around and stuff and I know some of it's because they played in college together and some of it's because they played on the same teams now they've been transferred but there was a day not too long ago when those guys could not be in the same place together. I mean, you, the referees had to come out and separate them, and you go to that end of the field, you go to that end of the field, say 100 yards apart, and we're not going to have you guys anywhere near each other, and this is this. Now they're all buddy-buddy, and after the game, you know, they're all out there, and they're walking around, and they're, you know, high-fiving and, you know, cheering each other on, like, hey, you had a really good hit when you tackled me out there, keeping me from scoring a touchdown. Well, you had a really good run when you tried to score a touchdown on us. Like, guys, you're not supposed to be friends like that. It's not how it's supposed to work. But really, as Christians, that is how it's supposed to work for us. Our enemy is not each other. Our enemy is Satan. And what happens is, is we start treating each other like we're the enemies. And the reason we treat each other like we're the enemies, it goes back to what happened to King Saul. I got my eye on the wrong thing, and I'm fearing the wrong thing. I'm fearing you. I'm fearing what you have. I'm desirous of what you have. I'm envious. But ultimately, my enemy is Satan. Ultimately, he's the Christian's enemy, not, not each other. And so we're supposed to love our enemies. Love our enemies. And those enemies we come up with, unfortunately, sometimes we have enemies even amongst, even amongst a church. Sometimes there are enemies even amongst a family. Sometimes there are enemies even, you know, we'll end up with enemies in the workplace. You know, I just can't stand that guy. I just can't stand that guy. What, what do you do? Love them. Love them doesn't make a lot of logical sense. 
Logically, it's destroy them, beat them down, show them who's the boss. But that's not what Christ said to do. Love your enemy. This week, that person that you can't stand, that person at work, that person, that person maybe in the church, that person, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a person nearby, that person, you know who it is, the Holy Spirit's bringing to mind right now, that person who is your enemy, this week, make a concerted effort to do something Loving toward that person. Love your enemy. And look what Jesus said. He didn't just say love them. Bless them that curse you. Then he says, do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. When was the last time you prayed for that person that you just can't stand? That person in the workplace. And not imprecatory prayers. God, please let their car break down. Or God, please let them break their leg or something. Not that kind of prayer. I mean, like truly pray for them. Pray for this person. When was the last time you did good for them? That guy at work, you just can't stand. You get coffee and you bring him one too. Like, I don't like that guy. He just dump it on me. Well, maybe. But you did your part. When was the last time you, you went out of your way to show love toward an enemy? We read the verses, but when it gets down to the practical side, sometimes we don't, we don't follow through. Second thing, help them. That's from the book of Exodus. Uh, the, the verse is right here. If thou meet thine enemy... His ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden, and thou wouldst forbear to help him, thou shalt surely help him. Thou shalt surely help with him. Um, so we've got a new puppy, and our puppy is very, very friendly when it comes to people, and very, very friendly when it comes to dogs. So she goes out and she'll go. She doesn't know a stranger. If someone comes to the house, she's like over there, she's jumping and, and trying to go and see them. We go out for a walk, every single person. If she sees a person coming down the street, I mean, they could be from here to the back of the auditorium. Boop, she's up. She's like at the end of her leash trying to get over there because she wants to go say hi to the new person. She's, so going places where there's a lot of people, it just doesn't work with her. Our neighbors at the end of our street, they also have a dog. Their dog, they don't keep him uh, chained down very well. They don't keep him locked up very well. So he'll be out, and he comes running around. So our puppy's in the backyard. She's got a fenced-in yard. And with every once in a while, I hear her barking and barking and barking, which means either there's squirrels out there that are, like, right on the other side of the fence, like, laughing at her, or there's a dog. And sure enough, usually it's the neighbor's dog. And so at first it was we go down and kind of chase him away, tell him to go home. Uh, now we know his name's Jace. We've gotten to meet him. We've, we know the dog's Jace. Jace, go home. Jace doesn't go home. And then eventually I have to go down and grab Jace by the collar and walk him the block all the way back and knock on the door. Hey, Jace was out running around, just bringing him back. And the neighbors, if someone brought my puppy back and she had gotten out of her fence, I'd be very appreciative. Wow, thank you for, for being nice and keeping her from getting run over. And thank you for bringing her back. And they're not that way. Like, <laughs> really? Why do you have my dog? Like your dog was in my yard. Like, well, you know, why, why do you have him? Just tell him to come home. It's like, I did. He didn't. I'm bringing him back. We're leaving, and I don't want my dog to, you know, be running around out here and trying to get out of her fence. And like, well, your dog should behave better. Like, my dog's on the fence. Your dog's running all over the town. Like, I don't have anything against them. I really don't. But they might have something against me. And since I know that, I'm going to help them. I could run over their dog. I could. He's, he's got a bad habit of sitting behind my car when it's time to leave. And he just sits there. Like, ah, oh, i got the little backup cam. Like, oh, stupid dog. Honk the horn. He looks up and lays back down. Like, oh, stupid dog. Get out there. Jace, move. Come on. Let's go. He, like, he likes our yard. He likes, he likes our puppy. Like, chase, chase Jace away and then back out of there. 
and then drive down the street, and he follows the car when you're driving down the street. He'll follow, he can follow me all the way to the church, you know, from Perry. You know, I could drive slow enough and let him follow me and get him out of there, but that's not the right, that's not the right response. The right response is, you know what, I'm going to take him back to his house. There have been times I'm, like, trying to get somewhere, and he's running around. I'm going to take him back to his house and drop him off on his porch and let him know that he's been out there. And I can't tell you how many times I've taken Jace home and dropped Jace back off at his house because Jace isn't where he's supposed to be. Help your enemies. Help your enemies. Number three, give to them. Let enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap whole coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. Most of our response is, if your enemy be hungry, good. <laughs> Serves him, right? If your enemy be thirsty, great. <laughs> I should have thought about that before you did this, whatever it was. That, that's our response, right? Like, I'm hungry, good. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> no, not my problem. That, that's our response, and that's not what Christ said our response should be. Christ said, you know what? If your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. And you'll find sometimes you can change who was an enemy into being a friend just by simply going out of your way to give to them. So Jace is one neighbor, my very next door neighbor. The very first week we moved into our house, I mowed the grass, and I wasn't exactly sure where the property line was, one side to the next. And I mowed, like, from my house, three swaths. From my sidewalk, three swaths close to my neighbor's house. And about nine o'clock that night, it was dark, Door's getting pounded on. I go, I'm like, what on earth is going on? I thought maybe the house was on fire or something. Went and opened the door and neighbor, hey! I'm like, whoa. And he's mad and he'd been drinking. It was a tough situation. He's like yelling at me. Like, you're trying to steal my yard that you mowed over there? Come here, I got to show you this. And I'll go out there and here's a telephone pole and there's the line. And literally it was one swath, one push mower, 21 inches swath. I got onto his line and his lawn wasn't mowed. I mean, it wasn't like I was mowing where he'd already mowed. There was, it wasn't mowed at all. I, yeah, I helped you out there. You know, that's that much less you have to do. Oh, man, he was mad. Oh, he was so mad. Oh, I went back. and I'm like, boy, this is going to be a long time. <laughs> like, boy, I didn't know we had those kind of neighbors. And they're like right there. It's like, you know, see them all the time, do all this stuff. I'm like, oh, boy, this is tough. Well, we let that cool off. A couple weeks later, a couple weeks later, we had been back out, and our candy sale was going on. Um, not our candy sale, our um, our. Something we were baking for. It wasn't a candy sale. It was something we were baking for. Uh, maybe it was harvest party. It was that time of year. Anyhow, we had some cookies. And so we took the cookies over and gave them to the neighbor. Said, hey, we got some leftover cookies and stuff. I just want to say howdy and stuff. And gave them those cookies. That was a year and a half ago now. And ever since that day, they're my best friends. Now we mow that little switch, that little strip of lawn. Now it's kind of a joke. In fact, this year, the first several times he mowed, he mowed that whole thing and my whole front yard. Like he's got a guy that mows for him. He mowed that and my whole front yard. He got it all mowed for me. He, I came home, it's all mowed. I'm like, oh, this is nice. He, he mowed it all down. And then a couple times I mowed just a little bit and I kind of came out and, uh, you know, we put a little marker in there, a little stick that was kind of our line so that we would know whose side was what so we didn't have this problem again. And I mowed through there and I came back out the first of this year and that, our stick was gone, all that stuff's there. And so I saw him say, hey, I'm sorry, I don't know what happened to the stick. I'll try and get it back. Oh, don't worry about it. I took it out of there. It's all good. He's like, all right, all right, we know you now. It's all good and stuff. Now I go home. Now it's the opposite. Now I go home and he's sitting on his front porch. He's like, hey, how's it going? I'm trying to get in the house. I'm holding like eight bags of groceries. Oh, I'm going really well. Like, hey, so what you doing? I'm like, oh. Trying to take groceries in the house, and I got stuck. Oh, that's really good. Hey, uh, I noticed it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, hang on. Set him down. 
I can walk over and we'll talk, and then my wife will be texting me, are you coming in the house? Uh, you know, ice cream's melting, or, you know, supper's getting cold and stuff. Like, I'm trying, <laughs> trying to be nice, <laughs> trying to be helpful here. And all because we gave him some cookies. And it could have been a long relationship with my neighbor, but we gave him some cookies. And there's some people that might be your enemies right now, and all you need to do is give them some cookies. I mean, give to your enemy. We don't think about it, but I guess God knew what he was talking about, right? Give to their enemy. I rejoice not when they fall. Um, Proverbs 24, 17. Again, rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not, not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Growing up with little brothers, this rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, it's hilarious when your little brother gets in trouble. When the brother gets the one, like, it serves him right. I mean, he did all those things and he got away with it. Or the times that you got in trouble for something and he didn't get in trouble and he was just as guilty. And the worst is when he did something, you didn't do it and you got in trouble for what he did. Or you got in trouble because you didn't stop him from doing it. Oh man, when he finally gets called into the bedroom or something, like, yes, finally, woohoo, party time, let's celebrate. Like, yeah, rejoice not when that enemy falls. Let not thine heart be glad. Our response, our human response, he got what was coming to him. Serves him right. Yeah. Be not deceived. God's not mocked. We like that verse then, don't we? <laughs> Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He got what he deserved. We love that verse when it happens to somebody else. <laughs> uh, rejoice not when the enemy falleth. Last but not least, revenge not yourself on them. Romans chapter 12, and this is probably the one that hits closest home to me, is I like to take care of my own problems. Well, they did that, well, I'm going to get them back, you know. You hit me once, I'll hit you twice, you know. Like, don't get mad, just get even. You know, that, that, that kind of that response. But ultimately, I'm not the avenger. God is. And it goes back to that thing that Saul had wrong. Saul had his eyes on the wrong thing, and Saul feared the wrong person. Saul was fearing David instead of fearing God. And God was the one that was going to avenge David. And David allowed God to defend him. David didn't fight back. God fought for David. And David wins. Because Saul wasn't really fighting David. Ultimately, Saul was fighting God. And what we want to do is we just want to make sure we're not in that situation. I want to make sure that God is, <laughs> God's on my side. <laughs> I want to make sure that I, I'm going I'm to trust God. It sounds really easy. And when we're not upset at somebody, it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, I let God take care of it. But when you're in the middle of something and when you're upset at somebody and when somebody has actively done something against you like Saul did to David, it's a whole nother situation. When someone is actively trying to hurt you or hurt yours, it's a whole nother situation to say, you know what, I'm going to let God take care of it. No, I want to make sure that this never happens again. Man, I... This, this guy, you know, I, I saw him, I saw, I saw this person picking on this person, or I saw this person hurting this person, or I saw this person taking this that didn't belong to them, and I'm going to make sure it happens. That's my enemy. Or let God take care of it. And it's a whole lot harder to take a step back and say, okay, God, you see this. God, you know what's going on. I'm going to trust you to take care of this situation. And ultimately, that's what we have to do for our enemy. 
So I don't know where you're at tonight. Maybe you're at King Saul. Maybe you've got some envy that's creeping up in there. We can stop that envy by getting our eyes in the right place, by, by fearing the right things, and by making sure that we're in God's presence. Or maybe you're like a King David. You've got some enemies that are out there. Maybe, maybe you've got some things that are your enemies. All right, well, love them. Help them. Give to them. Don't gloat and rejoice when they, when they stumble and fall, when they get punished. And let God be the one to take care of things.